The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's Samson. Hello, everyone. It's good to share God's word together. Um, let's start by praying. Our Lord, may you speak through this passage, and uh, may our hearts and our meditations be pleasing to you. Amen. Tonight is not a watershed moment in history by any standards, but as we enter into a new year, 2022, it's natural for us to think about what would lie ahead of us. And what we think about the future matters because humans need hope to survive like we need water and food. Sorry, is it hard to hear? Maybe I'll do this. Is it better? Okay. For ancient Israelites, the time of coronation of new kings was also a time of hope. Many Bible scholars believe that David wrote this psalm for later kings to be read out when new kings were crowned. To put it in another way, histor historically Israelites read this psalm at significant transitioning moments, at the cusp of new eras, and a time of hope. But which, w but which type of hope are we talking about? Because there are at least two types of hope that I can think of. The first type is optimism, the faint sense that things will somehow get better. The second type of hope is certainty based on solid reasons. Psalm 110, tonight's passage, gives Christians the second type of hope, a profound and certain hope. It tells us that we have a king, a God king, who, who rules, who judges, and who redeems. These three reasons equip us to face any future. So the first point, God rules. In this psalm, God promises a leader will come. And we know from the rest of the Bible that this leader is Jesus himself. How will Jesus rule? We see from verse 6 that Jesus will end evil. The second part of verse 6, he will shatter chiefs, literally reads, he will wound the head. Both translations work. And remember, this is poetry. Poems often have double meanings. Wounding the head hits on a theme that runs through the entire Bible. It echoes to Genesis 3, all the way back to the beginning chapters of the Bible. After Adam and Eve sinned, God hands down judgment. But among the curses, there is a promise. Eve's offspring will crush the head of the snake's offspring. And the snake symbolizes evil. Here in Psalm 110, this king will wound the head 
meaning he won't just stop individual evil actions, but kill evil itself. Secondly, when Jesus rules, he overpowers his enemies. In verse 2, the Hebrew word rule has the connotation of ruling in spite of resistance. This is very crucial. Most often, we are disappointed in bad leaders because they do a bad job or have a bad character or both. But we are also disappointed in good leaders because they cannot achieve as much as they claim to. In 2013, a young American fled the U.S. and arrived in Hong Kong with a bombshell of news about to shock the whole world. Edward Snowden, a former NSA staff, accused the U.S. government of using technology to infringe privacy. In an interview, he expressed his disappointment for Obama. Quote, A lot of people in 2008 voted for Obama. I did not vote for him. I voted for a third party, but I believed in Obama's promises. I was going to disclose it, but waited because of his election. He continued with the policies of his predecessor. Unquote. Obama, on the other hand, responded to Snowden's statements by saying that there is a need of balance between openness and security. This example shows a few things. People are disappointed in leaders they see as capable and have some degree of good intentions. Also, leaders around the world are struggling. They're struggling. Even high-functioning leaders who have some good intentions don't have the power to bring forth change. Their hands are tied. They're limited by multiple factors. They cannot deliver what their people hope for. Evil still reigns. In Psalm 110, God says that Jesus will achieve his will because he rules with the power of God. It is God who defeats the enemies. In verse 1, God will make the enemies his footstools. Verse 2, God will send forth Jesus' scepter, the symbol of kingly sovereignty. Jesus will bring God's kingdom on earth and satisfy his people. So, Christians have hope because we know that, firstly, Jesus is the one who rules. The second reason is that God will judge. One thing Jesus will do as a leader is that he will judge all kings and peoples. In verse 5 to 6, he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. Hebrew poetry, like English poetry, sometimes uses hyperbole, but that's not all of it here. Instead of shying away from the fact that Jesus judges, Christians need to know and explain to others why Jesus judges and why it is good. Who are the enemies of God, anyways? Another psalm, is this psalm? Yeah. Another psalm, Psalm 94, gives some more details. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. These are the people who show no mercy to the weakest in the society. These are the people who disadvantage others in order to benefit themselves. 
God isn't judging despite He's loving. God judges because He's loving. God judges those who are oppressed. Now think about it. When people seriously hurt your family or those you love, what would you feel? You get angry. So does God. Because God loves everyone. That's why God judges the perpetrators. Also, the Bible doesn't just give the oppressed people consolation. It doesn't say things will somehow get better or there's a silver lining to everything. Instead, God gives them restoration. God tells the oppressed people that he will restore the broken moral order. He will make things right. This teaching should kindle a fire of hope in anyone who feels oppressed. But if this teaching is right, we have a problem, a huge problem, because we're not just the oppressed, but also the oppressors. That's why we have the third point, God redeems us. Many of us have been Christians for some time and know God's standards. And if we are honest with ourselves, we know we cannot live up to his standards. What hope do we have? What hope do we have? If God doesn't judge, there's no hope for the world. But if God does judge, what hope is there for me, for you? We know that God really loves us then because Jesus isn't just a king, but also a priest. First four describes Jesus as a higher order of priest. Jesus is better than Levitical priest because he lives forever and offered his life as a perfect sacrifice for all humanity, once and for all. Jesus' redemption will cast a light in our hopeless world if we truly understand it. Verse 4 here compares Jesus with a mysterious character named Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek only appears in a couple of verses in Genesis 14. From the few details we know, Melchizedek is the priest of God Most High and a king ruling in the area later called Jerusalem. Melchizedek's name literally means king of righteousness. In Genesis 14, after a war, Abraham gives a tenth of his possessions to Melchizedek. Melchizedek then gives bread and wine to Abraham and blesses him. Centuries later, Another king appears. He's also the king of Jerusalem and the king of righteousness and the priest of God Most High. He blesses the children of Abraham, breaks bread, and says, This is my body, broken for you and for many, and gives wine and says, This is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many. Jesus the king is powerful, but his hands are tied. He stretches out his hands to be tied willingly and bears the cross voluntarily. Why did he do that? Why would he do that? Because he loves us enough to suffer with us and suffer for us. He pays a ransom for you and for me with his life because he's our priest. So, brothers and sisters, look to the cross and you'll see hope. On the cross, Jesus the King conquers evil and sin. On the cross, Jesus the priest reconciles God and humans. Jesus is the King priest that we all yearn for and need. Behold him 
and we can face any future in the next year and beyond. Now, some points of applications. For those of us who are in leadership roles, the teaching is that God will rule and God will judge, free us and warn us at the same time. We are free. We don't have to drive ourselves to the ground because of the quality of our work. We can't end evil, but that's okay because God can and God will. However, we are warned. We should do things that please and honor God because God will judge. The teachings also tell us how to be good followers. First, we need to put our hope in Jesus. When our leaders disappoint us, our world is not going to collapse because our leaders are sinners like we are. Also, because God would judge, we can submit to our leaders' decisions, even then, given that they don't contradict the Bible. When things don't go the way we wish they would, that's okay too. We have solid reasons to keep going and hoping. God would judge righteously. Lastly, every one of us could come before God in prayer. Let us pray with thanksgiving and hope. Let us look into our hearts to see where we put our hope in this coming year. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you for loving us. Loving us so much, you sent Jesus to come on earth, to dwell among us as our king, as our priest, to suffer for us, to suffer with us. You understand what we go through, and yet you're in charge. Help us to look at the cross, and we see you're in control, and you will judge, and you love us. Although we don't understand all that is going on, that's okay because you love us and you're in charge. I pray that you'll give us hope as we turn to you and um, may this hope continue to spread um, from us to other people in the world who don't know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.